Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode on Diversity Ally and this week we're going to have a discussion around microaggressions. We've got Ashanti and Priya and myself Gabby. Hey everyone. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Um, yeah so actually I've got some definitions, a couple of definitions of uh, microaggression here for people, just to hear a bit of background on it. Um, so the term microaggression was coined in 1970 by a black Harvard professor and psychiatrist, Dr. Chester Pierce. So he was studying the persistent presence of stigmatizing uh, representations of black people in television. And he defined it as subtle, stunning, often automatic and nonverbal exchanges, which are put downs of black people. And I think where microaggressions is about the subtle sort of um, discrimination against um, oppressed groups, that is very much in contrast to the macroaggressions, which is, which is more on a systematic level. So things like um, pay, uh, unequal pay. Uh, I know research said that 64% of women are exposed to this form of discrimination, but with non-white women experiencing it more than anyone else. Well, it's like everything, isn't it? it? Microaggressions are those, you know, and that was quite a really fully packed definition that we gave at the beginning, but it's really about the, the environment and the feeling and the atmosphere and the vibe it creates in a workplace, because these are often, you know, subtle, unsaid, but very pervasive ideas and beliefs. And so, if, if everybody just breathes in that kind of idea that, you know, because you're a woman, you're nicer to work with or more difficult to work with, or because you're black, you're late all the time, for example, um, it affects the way we see people in the workplace and the way we treat them. So I think that's why microaggressions are probably um, just as important than, you know, overt racism or sexism, for example, in the workplace. Mm. also by the way they just make people feel uncomfortable as well. <laughs> there is yeah, that right. part as well it, it makes well, people it, feel uncomfortable well it is um, microaggressions are split into three sort of separate areas which um gives us sort of own um types of um aggressions you've got micro assaults so this is like your racist jokes your offensive name calling um things like you know the white colleague being promoted before the person of color then you've got the micro um insults and this is where it's um it can be something that demeans a person's racial heritage or identity so things like oh so how did you get the job you know implying that it wasn't on your own merit or you got the job to like fulfill a quota uh, and then the last one is micro invalidations and this is where you know like small examples of this is where you know people of color are complimented for speaking good English. Oh, well, you speak really well, or you don't sound like you're black. Or, uh, and, and I know we've had a lot of conversations sort of in the industry, but the where are you from question. Um, and I think it's been established that it's fine to ask where people are from if you are genuinely in, the, you are genuine in the way that you're asking. Whereas you have, where are you from? No, 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 but where are you really from? I think it just gives the, the, the implication that you don't belong there. And I think if you really want to know where my brownness is from, ask me about my cultural heritage or ask me, you know, what, what is my 
uh, ethnicity and talk about it from that point, but not where am I from. <laughs> I don't know if you, you ladies have any other examples. I think it's quite important for people to, to know some of these examples because they may think that what they're saying is fine, but don't actually realise the implication of it and how it can be hurtful. Mm. I think um, there was uh, kind of an exchange with uh, you and I, Priya. We were, we were both attending um, the same event. Um, and we both knew this person quite well and they'd met us, etc. But um, they got our names confused. Um, so I was called Priya um, and I'm black Caribbean mixed race. Um, I'm quite dark skinned. I have long straight hair and sometimes I am confused as Indian, which, you know, doesn't bother me at all, actually. But what it meant was I just felt like my identity was kind of taken away from me a little bit. Like my identity yeah. didn't really, really matter to that person. Um, that they didn't really take the time to get to know my name and, and who I was. So maybe just feel a little bit kind of undermined and also self-conscious. And I know it's a really small thing and we all make mistakes and sometimes forget names. I understand that, but it's not really that difficult to try and remember somebody's name. And um, I remember this situation, Gabby, and I remember it was just laughed off as opposed to, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. It wasn't, it wasn't, um, it wasn't finalized with an, an apology. It was, oh, I'm so sorry. Mm. It was, it was laughed off. So it was very, oh, well, I don't really care. But I'm just going to carry on doing what I'm doing anyway. And, you know, and I felt myself go red from embarrassment. You know, that's a horrible situation to be in. And then you're very self-conscious, you know. Um, and, you know, that, it, it's considered a tiny microaggression, but it was a little bit hurtful at the time. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that, let's just be really frank about it, you don't look the same. So <laughs> there is also that very obvious fact right and what we see less so is that if you have maybe two um, individuals who appear to be English who have white skin it is very rare for people to mistake those two people and call them another name or other names okay mm -hmm. but this happens really often for people of colour you know and so that is an indication that again we're not really seen you know, because, and, and that's the point, when you really see people for what they are, um, then you will notice that there are differences and they don't have the same name and they don't look like each other. You know, so that's why this thing about I don't see colour or colourless diversity is just flawed because the fact is you don't see colour to the extent that you don't realise that two people with brown skin are not the same person and you haven't been able to attach the right name to the right person. Yeah, I think that the I don't see colour uh, comeback is such a micro-validation because it really diminishes your experiences or, or anyone's experiences from a racial perspective. So to say you don't see colour means that you, you've, not, you've not given a thought to the uh, discrimination or the experiences that your, your colleagues of colour have, have experienced. And um, um, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> and also there's kind of like the the undertone or the message of um a microaggression. So for example, um so, so let's give an example of one. Um so your credit to your race. Oh gosh, I really, really 
I really dislike that one. <laughs> um, but the message is then saying that, oh, well, black or brown people aren't as intelligent as white people. That is the yeah. background message and undertone that conveys, you know, it's, you may think it, it's a compliment. It's a backhanded compliment. But the message behind it is, you know, it's quite sinister. Yes, absolutely. You're so articulate. Oh, that was the one I was about to come out with as well. As if, you know, and you know, the irony I do find with language, you know, isn't it interesting the way brown people are assessed when it comes to language versus um, individuals who might be white or European? So, for example, if you're a European and you speak three or four languages and English is maybe your third or fourth language, people don't assume you're stupid. What they know and can recognise is that you speak multiple languages. Hence why maybe when you're speaking in English, your sentences could be slightly broken or you, you know, the, the classic thing about what goes first, the noun or the verb, right? Yeah. It's very common with European languages. But if you are brown in any kind of way, it's just assumed that you are illiterate or of low education. But in actual fact, again, depending on where you were born or raised, you may also speak several languages, ironically, yeah. uh, but you don't get that same that that's not the conclusion that's drawn and so it seems like when you have brown people who do are fluent in english because it's not being articulate it's just being fluent in english basically yeah. then it's like oh you're you know you're doing really well considering <laughs> you know and and that is a very it is steeped in racism as difficult as it might be to accept what about you people <laughs> that's another one I absolutely hate because it, it's another insinuation that you don't belong you don't belong in, in the place or in the environment and that you're kind of a lesser being yes. um, from it and like, oh, or your you kind is yeah it? that's another did, did everyone one. did everyone watch um did you watch the Leona Lewis video um that she put out at the beginning of um when this whole um movement sort of blew up and she was talking about how she went into a shop in um, in Chelsea with her dad, who is black, and basically the shopkeeper was following them everywhere around the shop, um, and obviously that is an indication of you know criminal a criminal assumption. Mm. You know, she was just being followed. Didn't know who she was. Didn't know that Leona was a uh, she just won X Factor, I think, at the time didn't recognise her, so she had every right, obviously, as, as does everyone, but she had every right to be in a shop. She was just browsing with her dad. Mm. Um, and she was made to feel so uncomfortable that, um, yeah, and I just and think that in itself is just awful. It is, and you know what's interesting is that, you know, we've had other, you know, uh, celebrities or well-known people who seem to have transcended race when it comes to their popularity and wealth, like Oprah. But Oprah has still shared instances while she's been Oprah in the public of experiencing racism when it comes to products and services. And that goes to show that it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter whether you're famous. You still can be subject to this kind of um, experience because of the colour of your skin. Mm. I mean, can we offer any solutions around this? Um... Any, any advice to to help people or employees in the workplace how to avoid microaggressions how to maybe call other individuals out on it if they kind of see it for themselves or hear it for themselves um any advice we can give i think 
I think if you're a senior leader, you need to accept that microaggressions are happening. It's not, you know, you don't work in a, an environment. You can't assume that it's not happening because let's face it, most of us have experienced some form of microaggression anyway. And I think it's important for um, the company to create an inclusive culture where employees do feel comfortable talking to you um, about this. And this can be, and obviously that's from a senior level, but from a, um, like a, a peer colleague point of view, it goes back to what we spoke about on a previous um, episode about allyship. Be the ally, be the one that steps out of your comfort zone and actually calls it out. Don't just call it out because your black colleague is sitting in the corner and, and, and is in earshot. And so they think, you know, you can, you, you know, they can hear what you're saying and it's, it's performative. Do it at all occasions do it at all times and I know you know it might be there might be some kind of level of sacrifice that comes with it because you might end up being calling out your family members your friends but I think obviously that can be done at all levels mm. yeah it can be done one-to-one with that person privately it doesn't have to be a huge statement <laughs> yeah um out there just yeah. one-on-one with that person is um, enough yeah. yeah, I mean, I think, you, you know, when you're talking about organisations and workplaces, again, there is an onus to do this. This is not kind of non-negotiable. It's not um, negotiable. See, in your personal private life, of course, we all have to weigh up circumstance and context. But in the workplace, if you're responsible for the welfare of your employees, which you are, um, then it is a responsibility to ensure that everyone in the workplace understands and knows um, what is appropriate and what isn't and that goes back I believe to in training right from the induction stage when you recruit people does your induction program include anything about you know um, healthy inclusive behaviors and speech is it clear from that point onwards that that is what is required of all employees? And that really sets the tone for how people interact with each other as time goes on and the longer they stay with you and when other people join the workplace. I think sometimes there's a thought that you can just put a plaster on this. You do actually have to go back to the basics, to the roots of the culture within your organisation. That could seem quite heavy. I mean, there's one thing that I, I think is worth mentioning because... What I, I don't know about you two, but the conversations I have with people my own age, maybe in their early 30s, late 20s, are quite interesting because the common remark or reflection is, I never knew any of this was happening. Or I didn't mm -hmm. understand this was an issue. And it's really made me think about generational understanding. So there are people over a certain age who are very aware that things, that terms that we use have to change and have changed. And then the younger generation, certainly the ones in their 20s and 30s, may be completely unaware of the historical context behind some of these words and beliefs, right? They may not understand that, you know, in times past, for example, black women may have been fetishized, for example. So they don't see anything wrong with going up to a black woman in their workplace and touching her hair or tugging on her hair or touching her head wrap. They, they just may not understand the historical context behind that. So I think that there is some education that probably has to happen because people think about what's happening in the context of just 2020 without understanding the hundreds of years that have passed that set the precedent for these types of microaggressions. I think that's 
quite important um, point that you made, Ashanti. I think if you can assume that there was no malicious attempt from someone dropping a comment or you know asking to touch your hair, if you can if you can assume that it wasn't done out of uh, nastiness, I think as a person that's being that the aggression is towards you, you also need to feel comfortable to actually say, um, I don't think that's suitable. I, that is not appropriate. Um, and help them understand how, um, how these comments or actions are hurtful. And, you know, hopefully from that, uh, they will pick up on, Oh, like, Oh, I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't be saying that. And it becomes a learned action from, from their part. Um, and then obviously if that doesn't happen, I think, in, especially in the workplace, document it. Um, and, you know, if, if you start seeing a, a pattern, you start seeing some kind of, um, you know, scenarios where it happens more than often, then report it and, you know, take it to your senior team, you know. And I know this is all part of the company culture and having, being in an environment where you are comfortable in doing that. But, you know, if, if we as well don't speak out about things that are hurting us, no one learns it's just they it just becomes like an acceptable behavior and you can't have that anymore mm. whatever and you know it, it kind of takes quite a while for this to become ingrained you know it's not kind of you can flick a switch and behaviors change difficult with appropriation and everything as well you see as you were saying ashanti about this being 2020 and you might see kylie uh, uh, what's her name i don't know her name jenna Jenna, don't know. Yes, sorry, <laughs> that that one. Um, you know, with her like cornrows and you know the outfits that they were appropriating black culture and the behaviours, and so people think that it's kind of cool and don't realise that actually, it, in some ways, it can be seen as a form of microaggression. So it is about the education piece, as you were saying as well, Shanti, um, and knowing that and the history behind it, um, and not kind of viewing today's celebrities or culture as the authority on how black people, people of color are feeling and that because they're doing it, oh, it must be okay because actually yeah. it's not okay. Yeah, absolutely. Such a good point, Gabby. And I think, you know, there'll be an upcoming episode very much about appropriation, such a, uh, what can be a very triggering topic for a lot of people. And it definitely deserves its own uh, episode, probably. So great. I think we've covered that. And I think the resounding point is it does take work and consistency, like Gabby said, work, like Priya said, to uncover um, and make those changes when it comes to microaggressions in the workplace. Starting out as an event professional, we know how daunting it can be to launch a new career. Event First Steps is an initiative designed to help newcomers of all ages carve their own career path within the events industry. We do this through live events, online content and industry outreach. Visit our website eventfirststeps.com for more information.